Please be seated. Over this past 20 months, Kim and I have become fans of different shows. You know, we've all kind of had time to catch up on some shows maybe you wanted to. But we've become huge fans of the longest Canadian Broadcasting Corporation show ever called Heartland. It's, it's, it's set an hour outside of Calgary on the Bartlett family ranch called Heartland, and I just love the main characters. I love Jack, the patriarch, and his granddaughters, Lou and Amy, who he's raised by himself because his daughter tragically was killed, and so he's been raising them and, and coaching them and being an encourager to them. Lou is an incredible entrepreneur, gifted in entrepreneurship, and Amy is incredibly talented with horses. She's a horse whisperer. And she's got this budding love affair with a young man who Jack fostered. And uh, you just got to watch it yourself. They just grow together in love, and it's a wonderful, wonderful story. But I do got to tell you, they need to take emotionally healthy relationships they, 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 they start to argue, and they get up from the table and walk away, and I'm screaming at the TV, stop! And the rest of the episode is about the, how they haven't communicated. So 92% of the episode, this problem could have been solved if you had done what I told you to do, including Jack. Jack ought to know better, you know? And you get there, and all of a sudden, at the end of the episode, it's all better and all is well in Heartland and all of Alberta. Oh, Canada. You just can't help but sing it. <laughs> the book of Zephaniah is kind of like that. If you were dipping into this book for the very first time and read no more than the verses that Marie read, you'd never guess that the book that wraps up so beautifully and lyrically really is not about this. It's about the day of the Lord. And when you hear that, what do you think of? Judgment. You know, apocalypse, right? Well, the book of Zephaniah is presenting to Judah during the reign of Josiah the coming day of the Lord. That there is a day of the Lord that is coming. And it, that simply means God's arrival. His presence among his people. And for some, that's a wonderful day. But for others, and quite frankly for most of Judah, which is flipping their middle finger up at the Lord, they're going to live the life they want to live it. It's not going to end so well for them. It's absolutely terrifying, as a matter of fact. And so it's within that context we have this verse read for us, which is one of great hope, which brings us great joy. On this third Sunday of Advent, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Zephaniah 3. We live in God's kingdom, as you've heard me say often, because that's what Jesus teaches. He says in the beginning of Mark, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. 
So we live in this kingdom today, and the day of the Lord, in one sense, has already come, but yet not fully realized yet until he returns again. That's what Advent's all about. But the revelation of the scripture is that there's a difference between the day of the Lord and a day of the Lord. It's like the day of the Lord comes and there's unfolding underneath it consummate little days of the Lord, if you will. It's an unfolding event with multiple days of the Lord within it. There was a day of the Lord in 586 when, when Israel fell. 722, rather. There was a day in 586 when Judah fell. There was the day of the Lord in 70 A.D. when Rome sacked Jerusalem and tore down the temple. But for God's people, the day of the Lord one day will be as Zephaniah is describing. So let's look at the day of the Lord. Because that's the context that's being painted by Zephaniah. The Lord, through Zephaniah, says that first, the day of the Lord will bring a unified, changed people. Verse 9, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers and the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. The day of the Lord will bring a people who have been chained by his presence in their lives. And when they speak of the Lord, it will be an accurate, unified message. It won't be confused. It will be a unified speech, pure, that everybody will be able to understand. In other words, it's a reversal of the Genesis 11 account of the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, you remember that in Genesis 11? All the nations were gathering together to build this great tower as a testimony to their greatness. So what did God do? He confused their speech so that the construction project never was completed. And this is a reversal of that. When those who, when the Lord comes, who trust in him and him alone, will have one unified message. The Lord is come. The Lord is here. We see it also further realized in Acts chapter 2. When filled with the Holy Spirit, God's people were able to proclaim the good news to Jesus to all these nations who had gathered for the Feast of Pentecost in a language that they never took a class for. A pure speech, a unified speech that all may call upon the name of the Lord and serve them, serve him in unity. And it all comes from, notice, a changed life. I will change the speech of the peoples. God changes them. So this is the first point and kind of a test that Zephaniah wants to make to us. We can know whether or not we are among the people of God by asking ourselves whether we call on the name of the Lord or not and serve him and love to do so with other believers. Verse 9, calling on the name of the Lord is not a casual thing. It's a wholehearted trust and worship of him to exclusion of other things. God converts them that they may call upon the name of the Lord. 
with pure lips and serve him. If you go back to Zephaniah 1, that's the problem. The people and the priests are serving with their words and their lives the Canaanite god Molech. They were as bad as those who didn't acknowledge God at all. The only hope for such a people is that they might be converted and thus call upon the name of the Lord sincerely out of lives given over to him completely. Have your lips been purified this way? Your nature transformed that you worship and serve the God and him alone? That's the first thing the Lord through Zephaniah wants to remind us that he gives us a unified message in God's kingdom. Secondly, as we live such changed lives with this unified message, it makes us a humble people. Verse 11, on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. For I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. When God changes a person, one of the chief characteristics among them is that they humble themselves. They recognize that before God, who's holy, they really have nothing to boast about. <laughs> and they become humble and lowly. They didn't earn this status through the Lord. God gave it to them as a gift because he loves them. So in Zephaniah's day, they are described as haughty, arrogant, people filled with pride. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were described in a similar way. They knew their Bibles. They were highly intelligent. They were respected by everybody in the community, but they were filled with haughtiness. Today, there are religious people who look down their noses at other people, and that ought to never be said of a Christ follower. Not that you've achieved perfection in this area, but it does mean that there must be a profound, pervasive change in our inner lives. Our heartfelt desire is to know God and be formed by his word and the Holy Spirit. Before you knew Jesus, you were as proud as Satan. You weren't going to bow down before God, and on the contrary, you were going to be your own God and have others bow down before you. Isaiah says that about us. Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. You looked at life as for your own benefit and pleasure, but then you met Jesus. You saw him as your king, the Lord of your life. And with that new recognition, you also saw your rebellion for what it is, sin. And you repented of it. You turned from it, yielding your pride, humbly calling, not for justice, but for mercy. From him who is your Savior. Is that the case with you? Has that been your experience? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Our motivation to walk with Jesus is not to gain his favor. We have his favor, therefore we do good works. It does not mean moral perfection. Because in Christ you stand perfect. But it does mean the beginning of the progress and life of obedience to God, which our prayer book calls perfect freedom. Verse 13 describes this. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. John, in that letter, is writing to Christians, and he's giving them tests by which they can know they are truly God. One test is a desire and a progress to an obedient life. John further says a few verses before that, if we claim that we have no sins, we make him out to be a liar. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John is simply speaking in stereo with Zephaniah. That there must be a change in us that we henceforth are not trying to live unto please ourselves, but to please God and God alone, whom we claim to love. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if we love him, we will obey his commands. John 14, 15. So, first, we're a people with changed lives. Second, it makes us humble people, not prideful. And third, it makes us a people of exultant worship, verse 14 through 17. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singings. We might pass through dark times in our lives, have the roof blown off from over our heads the way that Judah did in Zephaniah's day, the way John the Baptist experienced in being thrown in prison, and the people of Jerusalem in his day. But in the end, God will be with us and protect us and watch over us because it is not God's purpose just to discipline his people. His purpose is to restore us through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. He loves to do so. And as he does so, that's our joy. And we worship. Verse 14, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. This is the joy of Advent, brothers and sisters. The joy of Christmas. Our Lord is come, present tense, because he is restored to us and will one day culminate this restoration in the new earth that we have to look forward to. Therefore, we worship him. And let me just remind you, worship is not merely singing, all right? 
Kimmy and I, we moved to Southern Maryland. We couldn't find a faithful church of our tradition. So we started to look at churches. I've shared this with you before. So we started to go to some non-denominational churches just to check them out. They were big. They were growing. They were faithful. But the worship leader would stand up and say, all right, let us stand and worship the Lord. And then we break into Shine, Jesus, Shine. Some cheesy Christian song from the 80s. You know, and I look at Kim. Is this what worship is? Notice that I use the language, let us stand and worship in song. Singing is just one aspect of our worship. All our lives are worship unto the Lord, and that makes us an exultant people. Because when you read verse 17, God is almost giddy for you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you. By his love. I, you guys know I like trains. You know, if I, the problem is I'm, I'm always in a rush. So I'm never able to take one, but I love to ride the train. I prefer train travel. Sit back, go to the, the club car, get a drink, sit back and watch the country. It's just wonderful. You ever been to a train station when the trains are coming in? You know, the family and friends are sitting out by the gate watching people get off the train, stretching their necks to see if they can see their loved one. Then with giggles, delight, and laughter, everything rolled up into one great exuberance. They run to one another and embrace. That's God with you. God takes delight in you. One day, he will return. And until then, he's got your picture in his wallet. He carries them out, bragging about us, thrilled with every encounter that he has with us. And as we have such encounters with him, he quiets us. Notice he says he's, we're quieted by his love. When life feels like it's falling apart, he quiets us with his love. When you're curled up with someone you love on a sofa watching a, a favorite movie or just with soft music going on, there's no need for conversation. Words won't add anything to the light of just being there with one another. That's the, the essence of what God's doing here. We're quieted by his love. So the best response is a deep sigh. And it's joyful. All this is made possible because of the love of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. For he's the one through whom our speech and message is unified. He's the one through his humble and lowliness went to the cross for us. And because of that, diminishes our pride. It's not an ounce of it. And by his death on the cross and subsequent resurrection, he restores us to himself. And he consummates a kingdom that when people see us, they take notice of the loyalty that we have to him because of the way we worship with all our lives. May it be so, this Advent with these changed lives. And may we always sing aloud of his glory. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful that we can come to you, not because we're perfect, but we're made perfect in you. We thank you for the unified message and the pure speech you've given us in the gospel, that we may call upon you and worship you, and you make us humble people and remove the pride out of us and Lord, may it be attractive as we rejoice and exalt with all our hearts, no matter what we're going through. And Lord, make us a worshipful people, not only in our songs and singing, but with our words and deeds, no matter where we're found this Advent season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.